Hello, everyone. My name is Sara Srivastava, and I'm your host on the Dalexicon podcast, where we critically engage in philosophy and correlate philosophy research to contemporary issues. Today, we have with us Professor Rebecca Chan, who is an assistant professor of philosophy at San Jose State University. Uh, they're also the university director of pre-law advising. Um, although they have explored many different topics, their work lies at the heart of inter and the heart and the intersection of metaphysics and normativity. Hi, Professor Chan. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for your time and for being here today. Okay, with the introductions done, uh, let's move into our discussion for today. We're going to be taking a little bit of a deeper dive into your research and your studies and what you personally think about philosophy. Um, our episode today is specifically about transformative experiences uh, and the philosophy behind them. So let's get started. Uh, although I did briefly introduce you, uh, for audience that may not know a lot more about you, uh, could you please provide a little bit more information on who you are, uh, your background, and what your relationship is to philosophy, and what exactly philosophy means to you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Rebecca Chan. I'm an assistant professor at San Jose State University, and this is my fifth year there. Um, before then, I was a graduate student. I studied at the University of Notre Dame. Um, and going back even further, I guess I've been studying philosophy since I was an undergraduate. Um, let's see, as for my relationship to philosophy, I think that it has always been an area that's interested me. Uh, and when I say that, I mean that the questions that philosophers tend to explore and sort of the methodologies they use in like thinking about questions and what it would take to arrive at answers, even if we don't necessarily arrive at definitive ones. That's always been interesting to me going back to when I was a kid. I just didn't know that I was doing philosophy. And I think this experience is pretty typical for a lot of people. Um, so for me growing up, uh, I grew up like in the church and I had a lot of questions about God and whether God exists and like how we could demonstrate this and whether we had freedom if God knows what we're gonna do in the future. These were sorts of questions that um, I was very interested in. And little did I know that they were philosophy of religion questions until I was an undergrad and realized that there are like entire courses and like an entire field of study that's dedicated to this. And so that's sort of how I came um, to discover academic philosophy and just keep diving deeper into it. Um, the field of philosophy that I specialize in is metaphysics, which is the study of like how things are in the world. Um, so, for example, metaphysicians will ask questions about what things exist. So you can see how for me that was going to be um, like I cared a lot about whether God existed initially. Um, but metaphysicians care about way more than just God. They might care about things like numbers, uh, material objects, all of these sorts of things. Um, there's also questions about freedom, determinacy. And so these are the sorts of questions that I am most interested in. That's awesome to hear. And I think like, you know, just personal stories um, for a lot of people, actually, uh, they just explore philosophy beforehand uh, and just continue it when they learn more about it in you know ac academic settings, because unfortunately, um, high school doesn't do a really good job of introducing philosophy to students as a competitive or as like a field of study, really. Um, so real quickly, before we talk like specifically on transformative experiences, I did want to ask you a question that I know a lot of high schoolers actually have. Um, you know, my friends have asked me this question, but what exactly is philosophy research per se? Because, you know, like a lot of people, like a lot of philosophers, when you introduce them, they're like, oh, my research lies in this field. But what exactly is that research? Um, and like, 
you know, like traditional people, like many people, many high schoolers think of research to be in the context, you know, like the STEM research, right? So how does philosophy research compare and contrast to what that might look like? Yeah, that's a really great question. So one thing that's a little different from STEM fields um, about philosophy is for the most part, we philosophers do not do like experiment, like some people do, very few people do, but for the most part, we don't go around doing experiments. Um, we don't go around investigating the world. I think philosophy is a little bit unique in that it can be done um, for the most part from the armchair, so to speak, right? You can literally just sit in a room, uh, think, and you might be doing philosophy if you do that in a sort of rigorous way, right? Um, but of course, we don't just sit in armchairs. We do like a little more than that. So I would say that the field that is close to us in terms of what research looks like is probably going to be English or literature. So we read a lot. So we read what other philosophers have written. Um, if we happen to do history of philosophy, I don't, but other people do. We might need to learn another language, read texts in their original languages, um, and also be aware of like the historical context in which those texts were written. Um, and so these are sorts of the sorts of things we spend time learning. And then what's really cool about philosophy is, and this is why I say it's a little close to English and literature. Once we've spent time reading these things and thinking about them um, for a pretty long time, we come up with our own views and try to further the conversation and push things a little further. Um, and so that's what our, uh, the thing we produce looks like. We might produce another philosophy paper or book. And what we're doing is extending the conversation and sort of expanding it. Right. I mean, that definitely makes sense. It's a little like compared to what I mean, most people know nowadays with research. Um, it's definitely like an interesting, interesting an area to do research in, especially like the furthering questions part. I think like a lot of philosophy boils down to kind of just continuing the conversation, right? Like there's often very few um, like definitive answers um, if there are any in philosophy, right? And so like just continuing that conversation uh, is like really interesting. Um, and so like now into like the actual conversation about <laughs> transformative experiences. Um, I wanted to first understand like this broad terminology of transformative experiences better, right? So what exactly is a transformative experience and what constitutes an experience to be transformative? Um, and like, I guess a follow-up question to that, well, I mean, there's no answer yet, but like another question is like, is it possible for one experience to be more transformative than another? For example, like would a student who is deciding to attend a specific college or university, would that be more or less transformative than the decision to have a baby? Yeah, this is a great question. So um, most of the contemporary work on transformative experience, uh, it originates with the philosopher Laurie Paul, and she introduced sort of, um, this concept, it's not like an entirely new concept, but she did a really great job of um, like formally defining what it is and the, and the problems that arise when we think about transformative experiences. So let me start with just a basic definition. A transformative experience is going to be an experience that is both epistemically and personally transforming. And I can say a little bit more about what those two things are. So an experience is gonna be epistemically transformative if you don't know what it would be like to have that experience before having it. Um, and this might sound uh, like sort of obvious, like how could you know what it's like to have an experience before you have it? But this is actually a deeply controversial um, claim. And so one example um, 
that's given a lot is having a baby. Is having a baby a transformative experience? And a lot of people might initially be inclined to say, yes, it is. Um, how could I possibly know what it's like to have another like being that I'm in charge of or whatever? Um, but then of course there are people who will say, well, actually you might be able to sort of figure out roughly what it's like. So for example, if you've babysat before, you know what it's like to be in charge of like a little baby. Um, you've observed other people perhaps who have had their own children. They can report to you what it's like to have a baby, right? Uh, and so there's a lot of debate about whether or not there are any genuinely transformative experiences. Like, is it really impossible to figure out what it's like before having the experience itself? The other aspect, the personally transformative aspect is that sometimes we have experiences that completely change who we are. So for example, um, our core preferences might change, maybe our life goals change, maybe the way we look at the world changes, right? Um, and you can see how having a child might fall into this category, right? So um, before you have a child, your preferences might just be like, I wanna go have fun with my friends on the weekend or whatever, right? Um, but when you have a child, like perhaps you prefer to spend time at home with your child, I don't know. Um, your life goals might change. So I definitely have had friends who were extremely like career and money oriented. And once they had children, they're like, actually, now I don't really care about those things anymore. I prefer to just like hang out with my kid and be like a great parent. Um, and then lastly, with respect to like the way you see the world changing, uh, one of my colleagues like very recently had a baby just like a few weeks ago. Uh, and we had been talking about transformative experiences because he was like so excited to find out if it would be transformative or not. Uh, and he reports that just like everything in the world, even though he recognizes it's like objectively the same as it was before and there are many horrible things going on. But like when he looks around the world, he just like feels like a little better and he sees like more good in it. And so you can imagine um, to go back to your second question about are there degrees, how this would be the sort of thing that easily admits of degrees. Like maybe the way you see your world just changes a little bit or it changes a lot. Um, maybe your preferences change a little bit. Maybe they change a lot. Same thing with your life goals, right? Um, but the point is that you change enough so that we might look at you and be like, oh, like you're almost a brand new person, right? Who you are has changed in some pretty fundamental way. And so when those two things happen, when you are both epistemically and personally transformed, we say that you've had a transformative experience. Okay, that makes sense. So it has to be both epistemically and um, like, I guess, personally, right? Is that the second mm -hmm. one? Yeah, yeah, personally exactly. transformative. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess just a quick follow-up question on that then. So it, we, we understand that there's like these degrees that you can have, but aren't those things like entirely like subjective, right? So how do we know that for each individual person, what we might classify as a transformative experience for another individual will be a transformative individual or, or experience for like another individual? Is that even possible to do? Or like, how does, how does the research kind of corroborate that? Yeah, this is a really excellent question. Um, I think that it is very subjective because of course, whether so, like a particular type of event is transformative for a person depends a lot upon that person. Um, so one thing that's come up in the literature, uh, Liz Harmon has written that like, maybe for some people, becoming a parent isn't that transformative. For example, maybe there's a huge age gap between them and a younger sibling. And for whatever reason, they spent a lot of time taking care of that younger sibling. 
um, for that person, it may be that having their own kid is pretty similar to that and doesn't really transform them at all. On the other hand, you can imagine someone who's like maybe an only child or the youngest and they've never really been around children and like they don't have any pets or anything, right? And it is like a really eye-opening experience for them. Uh, it can vary. And I don't think this is weird either, by the way, because if you think about lots of other things in life that philosophers talk about, um, the example that comes to mind first is happiness for utilitarians. What makes people happy varies from person to person, right? Uh, so like, for example, uh, I really like cats. Maybe you're more of a dog person. And so it'd be weird to be like, oh yeah, like giving Sarish a cat would make him happy because giving Rebecca a cat makes her happy. Uh, that'd be like a weird thing to just assume. And similarly, um, the claim is not that having a child is going to be super transformative for every single person. It's just that this is the type of thing we would be unsurprised if it was transformative. And it's probably gonna be transformative for most people unless they've already had a relevantly similar experience. Okay, awesome. That definitely makes sense. And just to clarify, I'm definitely a dog person. I actually have a Labradoodle at home. So yeah, I'm definitely 100% a dog person. Um, not to say I don't like cats, but dogs are definitely better in my opinion. So I'm um, now I'm kind of curious about like the ways in which decisions can be altered by transformative experiences, right? Like you've kind of explained how people who might have had like siblings who have a large age gap, you might have already experienced those like that transformative experience right and so like your decisions might be different when you have a baby like I i'm kind of curious on like what like how those things can be altered right like as far as i'm aware right now decision theory is like the dominant theory of rational behavior in philosophy and like social science in general could you explain a little bit more about what decision theory is and why or why not transformative experiences can alter our ability to make rational choices yeah, I'd be happy to do that. So I don't want to dive too deep into like decision theory, but I'll say something general about the way most people think uh, we should rationally go about making decisions. Whether or not people in fact do this, I think is a separate question. But typically people think the following is like the prototypical rational way of making a decision. So you have preferences and desires, right? Uh, and you want to sort of like maximize the fulfillment of those desires or you want to have all your preferences satisfied and the easiest way to think of this like i know like money doesn't map on perfectly but just think of it as like most people are pretty happy when they have more rather than less money and so now you're in a casino and you're gambling right um and someone offers you the following sort of game um they say we're gonna do a co simple coin toss game uh if it lands heads you're gonna get two dollars if it lands tails, you're going to pay $1. And then now you ask, do I want to play this game or not? And so the standard way you're supposed to go about making this decision is to think, okay, what's the probability, if I play the game, what's the probability that I'm going to win? Well, it's 50% and you're going to win $2, right? So you multiply those together, uh, 0.5 times 2. Then you go, what's the chances that I'm going to lose? Uh, well, it's 50%. So 0.5 times minus 1, because you'll lose a dollar. And then you go, okay, so my expected value is going to be 50 cents, basically, right? I did the math, right? All right, so 50 cents. And then you go, but what if I don't play the game? What's my expected value then? And well, it's basically guaranteed you're not gonna win or lose anything. So you're at zero, right? And then you compare the expected values and you go, okay, 
I can now see that since my expected value for playing the game is higher, 0.5 or 50 cents, um, I should play the game as opposed to just like staying put. And so people will say, okay, so what you should do is make predictions about the value of the outcome, figure out the rough probabilities of that outcome occurring, and then do basically an expected value calculation amongst all your options. And that's how you decide what to do. Okay, so here's the problem that transformative experiences supposedly um, pose for this. Go back to the example of having a child for the first time. Well, if that's gonna be a genuinely transformative experience for you, you might not know what the outcome is gonna be like at all. Like that's what makes it transformative, right? And if you don't know what the outcome is going to be like at all, it looks like it's going to be pretty difficult to assign any sort of value to that outcome. And now it looks like if that's right, you can't do the calculation because when you try to plug in values, there's just no value to plug in. And so um, the puzzle or the problem posed by transformative experiences is supposed to be, well, now we can't use this standard sort of like maximize your expected value decision procedure because there are just no values to plug into the equation. Right. Okay. That definitely makes sense. So how does that necessarily like alter like the decisions? Is there like a specific way uh, in which those decisions happen then like through like transformative experiences or is it just kind of like whatever happens happens after that? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are several possibilities that present themselves, right? Um, one is that, all right, I guess that's right. We don't have any values and maybe there's not some other way to make the decision. And so now it turns out that we can't make a rational decision. Now, maybe like if you choose to have a child, it's not irrational, but it's just like a rational. So like rationality doesn't apply, okay? Um, there's another possibility, which is that you go, okay, so we've been trying to think of this in terms of making a decision based on values that we can predict, right? About like how happy we'll be or whatever. Uh, maybe there's, we can't use those types of considerations, but maybe there are other considerations that we can use. Uh, and that would be like perfectly appropriate. So some people might think like, does it matter that I like continue my family line? Or other people might think like, does it matter that if I have a child that will contribute to climate change? I don't know, you can like come up with many of these other sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with what it will be like for you to have a child. And maybe on the basis of those you can choose. And it should be noted that like um, nothing anyone says is rules that possibility out. It's just that it would be sort of a bummer if it turned out that something where the experience for you is so important turned out to be a decision where you can't make it based on what the experience will be like for you, right? Um, the last possibility, and this is the one that gets a lot of attention because um, the general problem is actually a very controversial. Some people say, no, there's a mistake here. Uh, actually, we can approximate roughly what it will be like or roughly what the value of having a child will be for you. And that's all we need to make decision theory work. We just need rough values. We don't need them to be super precise. If we can make like ballpark estimates, that's good enough. Um, how might we do this? Well, we might just like survey people and see how happy they are after having a child. And then you can use that sort of like range of responses to sort of guess where you might fall into the picture, right? Okay, definitely. That makes, I mean, that seems like it would have a lot of controversy for sure, um, <laughs> just because of like, the ranges and everything like that. So I guess 
I actually like backtracking a little bit because I was like thinking about um, just transforming experiences in general and how you can't kind of you you won't know that those things are like there right like you won't like you can't just say I'm gonna have a transforming experience on Monday uh, like you can't do that right it has to be something that go that happens like specifically at a time or something like that so in that scenario are there different like stimuli that can lead to transformative decisions uh, like you know maybe like a new surrounding or something like you know just taking the student example, like college or something, like a new environment like college, can that create uh, life-changing decisions or encourage life-changing decisions to be like the best version of yourself in any possible way? Yeah, I think college is a great example of uh, what we might say is a potentially transformative experience. So all of these, by the way, I, I should say they're potentially transformative because of course we talked about how they might not be transformative for everyone or there might be degrees of transformation. Um, I do think college is one of them um, for a lot of reasons. So for a lot of people, if you go away to college to somewhere new, for example, right, it'll probably be, it may be the first time in your life you're away from family or friends. You might be in a completely new place, perhaps even a completely new country, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people are not great at guessing how that will go for them. Uh, you are also going to be exposed to like a lot of new ideas and learning, right? And so this is another thing that may change, especially personal, um, the personal aspects, right? So it's not just that you're going to learn new stuff in these new subjects, it's that they may change the way you look at the world. Um, if you just think about how, um, I don't know if protective is the right word, but how concerned people are about children's educations. You can sort of see why the same concerns might apply to people who are going to college, especially young people, right? Um, they're very concerned with how education shapes the mind, right? Um, and so it may be that your mind is shaped in a different way than if you hadn't gone to college. So, sorry, I am now forgetting the original question. I just remember I had to do a transformation in school. But yeah, these are some of the ways that um, going off to college might be transformative. Are there other stimuli that can potentially be transformative or like, you know, obviously like lead or I guess maybe, you know, I actually like maybe even like a wedding or like a, like a marriage or something like is that something that can be classified as like potentially leading to transformative experiences because obviously like there's a possibility that you could have a, a baby or something like that. Is that something that you can characterize as potentially transformative as well? Yeah, great. Thank you for bringing up the marriage example. Um, that's perfect because there's another feature of this, which is that sometimes the transformations happen gradually, right? Um, so, you know, having a baby is pretty extreme. Maybe going to college is extreme and like sudden. We can think of other cases. So for example, like maybe going off the war, or maybe um, if you lose a sense modality like your sight or hearing, or if you gain one, that could be another like sort of instant thing. But there are of course these little by little transformations that occur. So you might think of, uh, you start dating a person, right? And nothing is happening like immediately from moment to moment, but maybe this person like opens up your world in a different way, makes you feel differently about other people and them um, slowly, like their concerns become your concerns. And so your core like preferences change. Maybe you start envisioning a life with this person and that's pretty different than what you would do without them, right? Um, and of course this like grows over years and maybe like, I don't even think it culminates in marriage. Like it keeps going after marriage, right? Um, and so yeah, these transformations can happen over time gradually. 
And I think what this um, sort of demonstrates is the problem is actually a little bigger than we originally thought, because now it starts to look like any small decision, like just going on a date with a person or just like saying hello, right? Um, could lead to a potential transformation. And now if that's right, um, even with the small things, we're sort of like paralyzed in terms of standard decision theory. Some people take this to show that like there is no problem because like, of course we can make like these small decisions rationally. Um, but other people are like, oh no, like we gotta rethink the way that we sort of like navigate around the world when we're making these decisions. Uh, right, definitely. I mean, I guess like just on this topic of graduality, I guess, for transformative experiences, and this is kind of just out of like personal curiosity, um, how would like a, a disease be mapped as like, would that, could that potentially be mapped as a transformative experience? And like, is there any difference in having like a disease as a transformative experience as compared to like, maybe, I don't know, like birthing a new, like having a new baby or something like that? Like, cause obviously those two things are complete polar opposites, right? Like one is like the continuation of life and the other is like the deterioration of life. So like, obviously like the spectrum, we know, we understand that there's like a spectrum of like, uh, I guess degrees of transformative experience, but is there also like a spectrum for the stimuli of, of transformative experiences? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure there is. Um, I don't know if you've ever uh, had someone that you know decline or maybe some of the listeners have. Um, some people, like there's a person in my family right now who has Alzheimer's and you can, like it's still in the early stages, but you can tell that there's definitely a mental change happening, right? And I presume that like, as this continues, the person will become more and more different, right? Um, and I think it's certainly true that in these types of cases, there is transformation occurring. Um, and I think both of the epistemic and the personal change, like I've asked um, this person, like what it's like. Uh, and she says like, I can tell that I'm forgetting things and like that my memory is like not good. Um, but like, I also can't figure out how to do anything about it. Like, like it's, a, it's weird because like the person's aware of it, right? Um, they're not, and I assume there will come a point where it's just like totally different. Um, I guess in terms of the decision-making aspect, one um, obvious difference is that for the most part, people are not choosing to get these diseases, right? Like diseases are types of things that happen to you. Um, you don't get to choose them. Whereas um, for the most part, people get to choose to have children, right? So maybe the decision uh, aspects don't apply in these types of cases because they're not choices. And there are other cases where there might not be choices. So some people think that um, religious conversion is sometimes like this. So if you think of like the, like Paul on the road to Damascus getting struck by light, right? That's not a choice that Paul made. Like sometimes you might have someone who's like Pascal who's like choosing to like try to go to church to believe. But there are other times um, these transformations just happen to us, right? Uh, so yeah, I think that that's one important difference is whether there's a choice involved. And you're right that these can be in like a lot of different areas of our life. So obviously in the case of disease, that's like at the decline of your life. And maybe even the process, um, if there's no mental change, it's just like experiencing dying, right? And like being confronted with like, sort of the immediacy of your impending death. Uh, there's a beautiful paper on this by, I am blanking on the person's name. I will remember and like tell you in a second um, about uh, their experience 
like dying and like how death itself can be sort of a transformative experience and how it changes the way you look back at your life and see like maybe where your priorities were, where you were wrong about what your priorities should been and all of these things, right? Um, yeah. So I guess like following up on this question, right? Um, because like the way in which we mapped out, I guess like through Alzheimer's, right? Like the person is aware of that state that's going on. So maybe it can't necessarily be classified as transformative per se, because like, you know, obviously it's changing how they are like are looking at things and but maybe down the line it could become transformative right um but how exactly do like emotions play out in this like emotions are like a, probably a, a big field to study in like philosophy as well uh but like is there emotional change that happens with transformative experiences is that like always going to be there is that like something that you know we can identify as like a hundred percent a like constituent of transforming experiences that there's going to be a change in emotions on certain things. Is that something that we can say, or is that not something we can say? This is really interesting. I'm not sure that people have focused too much on emotions yet. So maybe this is something you should focus on because um, it would be new and exciting. Um, by the way, let me just pause for a second. The person who wrote the one about death is named Evan, a philosopher named Evan Thompson, in case any of the listeners want to know. Um, so I do think that oftentimes there are emotional changes. So I don't think that's necessary um, to an experience being transformative. So I think, I mean, for example, I gave the example of my colleague who recently had a baby and is like, oh, I just, the world seems better and I'm just like happier every day. So that would be a transformative experience that involves an emotional change. Um, but I think we could also imagine ones that don't necessarily. So. I mean, in the easy case, just imagine a person who's not particularly emotional and they undergo a transformative change. And like what it does is it changes like the way they envision their life going and like the things they want to accomplish in life. Uh, but like they're still pretty unemotional about everything. Right. So I don't think emotions are necessary, a necessary part of transformative experiences. Um, I don't think like having a radical emotional change is like maybe necessary for an experience to be transformative, but um, it definitely could be. And I could see how they would often go together. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and just along this train of emotions, I guess, because like, um, like earlier I did some, I mean, this is just based off of like psychology course at school we learned about like the relationship between emotions and like biology right like where it's processed in our amygdala um and so like that had me really curious um this is like earlier on like i was really curious about like theory of mind and consciousness mm -hmm. in general and there's a field in consciousness or like a theory to explain consciousness called neurobiological naturalism which is like basically a theory of evolution and how over time evolution has shaped consciousness for like beings and also non-beings um, and so like it, it kind of goes into like the ways in which everything you do, like consciousness in general, can be mapped to biology. And so I, I wanted to ask, um, like, is transformative experiences, like, is there a biological shift that would happen? Um, has that, has that ex been explored ever? Um, because, I mean, if there is like a, like a, like, I don't know, like a gear switch or something like that, right? Where you have a big experience that changes how you feel or think about certain things. And is that like, it would be, I don't know, it just seems really curious that like, I feel like there would have to be some sort of biological change, right? <laughs> um, and if there isn't, then it just kind of goes to show how fuzzy theory of mind can be. 
Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert in philosophy of mind, so I don't, and I'm also not a psychologist by any means, so I don't want to make any like grand proclamations. Uh, but I think in a lot of the cases we've discussed, we can see how there would be some sort of underlying physiological change that explains why the transformation occurs. Uh, and that should be unsurprising, especially if you think there's a very tight link between what goes on in our brain and what our phenomenal experiences are, right? Um, even if you're not a physicalist, you probably think that what goes on in our brain is very tightly connected to our experiences, right? Um, so for example, like when you have a child, uh, especially if you birth the child, your brain releases all sorts of hormones and stuff, right? That change uh, the way that you are emotionally reacting to things and just like totally reshapes how you're um, feeling about the situation. Um, in the case of degenerative disease, like Alzheimer's, there's also clearly something going on in the person's brain, right? Uh, in the case of like gaining a sense modality, right? Uh, it could be that you had something implanted into your brain or your body that allowed you to gain that modality, right? Um, so yeah, I think that there are often gonna be biological uh, correlates to the transformative experiences and then the, a question for the philosophy of mind people is like, which causes which, or like if this is significant for the decision-making process in any way, or if this at all affects like whether we should think that there's something more or less special about transformative experiences. But I definitely agree with you that there's gotta be some connection uh, and that in some cases, the connection helps explain why the person is undergoing such radical change. Okay, awesome. I mean, that can definitely be something that I can explore in my own time as well, uh, especially with like emotions too. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. So I kind of want to move away from like this physiological, biological discussion now and kind of go back to um, just reason, or maybe not reasoning, but kind of how transformative experiences can be influenced, right? We talked earlier uh, about the way in which, you know, if you know uh, like the experience of what it might be like to have a baby, i.e. through like babysitting or talking with another individual who can like tell you what it's like. Um, like those are all kind of opinions and kind of information that you learn from other people, right? So I wanted to ask like, how are we able to like balance our own opinions and reasonings? Now, obviously this is like definitely, I, I wanna make sure it's in the context of like transformative experiences, not in general, because there's probably a million different ways we can do that. But like just in, in the context of transformative experiences, like how does our own opinion compared to other people's opinions and what we learn from other people, how are we able to characterize transformative experiences from that? Yeah, this is a really great question too. Um, I don't know if I would say this is a matter of characterizing transformative experiences so much as I would say this is a matter of how we make decisions. And like this goes beyond just the is the decision being made rationally or not. Um, I think a lot of people, including uh, Lori Paul, who's the person who uh, started talking the conversation on transformative experiences, care about authenticity. And you can see why this is a thing we would care about, especially in decisions that are very personal, like for example, having a child, right? Or maybe going to college or doing things that will like shape who you become. Because of course we don't want to, or at least a lot of us who are like very individualized, like we don't necessarily want who we become to be dictated by someone else. 
and we want to like have our own experiences and think that our life is being shaped by our own decisions, right? And so one um, point of controversy is whether you are going to be able to choose authentically if the way you're making these sort of like value judgments or trying to fill them in is based purely off of what other people say, right? So imagine that like a bunch of my friends have all had children. They're like, you've got to do it. It's great. Like we love our babies. And <laughs> I mean, what I should take away from that, right? Is like, yeah, so for this pool of people, um, having a baby was great, positive value. They maximized their happiness or whatever. But does the fact that it, having a child maximize happiness for them, is that a reason for me to have my own child, right? Shouldn't I care about how I'm going to react to that situation? Like, I want there to be a tighter connection to like the way I'm predicting the future and myself. Like, I want to imagine myself with the child as opposed to me like in someone else's situation, right? Um, and so there's an important question about authenticity that arises when we think about transformative experiences because it looks like, especially if you're gonna change at the other end of the experience, how is it that you've like decided for yourself as opposed to just like become a different person and now there's like not a tight connection between you and your future self. Right, definitely. I think that makes sense. And I think it also like kind of just introduces like an aspect of, you know, how you're talking about authenticity, but also like individualism in general, right? Like mm -hmm. do like do like do my transformative experiences need to be the same transformative experiences as other people? Because obviously each person, you know, we talked about this is, has subjective experiences and all those things can be tied to the individual themselves, but not necessarily mapped out to like a formula right or something like that. I, I wanted to like conclude right with a question that pertains to many of our audience members um and it is necessarily like it isn't necessarily about transformed experiences per se but it is about like the field that you explore uh like the most so what would you like to say to any high school student or any student in general um who has an interest in philosophy right that field can be pretty intimidating and often discouraged um like at at least like at at like how society is trending now there's like a higher increase on like stem and and stuff like that so it's often discouraged and even intimidating because of like maybe like the the language and rhetoric that's utilized in philosophy isn't necessarily digestible for the layman right and so like do you have any general advice that you could give to our audience members and like how they can get interested in philosophy or not interested sorry because that's kind of just a personal interest but like how they can get involved in philosophy and what they can do to learn more yeah, well, first I'd caution them that it might be a transformative experience, so they've got to tread carefully. Uh, but second, I mean, like just listening to this podcast and your other excellent podcasts would be a great way to sort of dip your toe in and start exploring the different topics that are out there. Um, and then if these are students who are going to continue uh, education past high school, I would always recommend to take recommend that they take a philosophy class. Um, it may even be that, it, that depending on the school they are, that it's required or fills the requirements. So like you don't have to feel like you were committed to an entire major or anything, but just to explore, I think would be great. But I'd also like to say that probably a lot of people have explored philosophy, just not in a super formal way, but that exploring philosophy informally is just as good and can be just as fulfilling. Um, I think that if you've ever read any books like literature books, you've probably thought about a lot of philosophical topics just through 
reading, right? Um, so for example, uh, one of my favorite books growing up was, um, was To Kill a Mockingbird. And obviously there are huge themes in that book about justice, for example, right? And that's a huge philosophical topic that goes all the way back. Um, I mean, even in pop culture, I think, like if you watch Harry Potter or the Marvel movies or Star Wars, there are huge philosophical questions that arise in these sorts of films, right? Um, and so like, basically anytime you find yourself thinking about what decisions you can make, what's the right thing to do, um, am I free or like, is what I do predetermined, right? Um, just like, should I be believing this? Like, is my belief in this thing, in this view, maybe a political view, a religious view, whatever, like, is my belief justified? Anytime you ask yourself questions like this, you're doing philosophy, right? Um, and of course, like you can go find philosophy podcasts or take a philosophy class, but I think it's just like, these are questions that are really important to everyone. And you're probably naturally thinking about them. You just think about them a little more. You're doing philosophy. And that's one of the really cool things about the field is that really everyone does it. Um, it's just, we do it in like different settings. And so just like a little bit of a follow-up on that, right? If everyone is doing philosophy and I know like reflection and just kind of just examination is a really big part of philosophy, right? To come up with your own opinions. What are some ways that maybe like you can, ex like people can express those? Is collaboration one of like the most important? Like, you know, there's often like, we hear about like the power of two, right? Where two minds can do so much more. Um, so like, how do you recommend maybe if there's like a way for someone to get, get reflecting or get started on like examining those things? Is there like, a point where rather than just reading, it becomes to now like interpreting and kind of like just doing that reflection on their own? Or is that something that like we kind of already do, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on who you are as an individual and the types of things you're geared to. Um, I am not the most enthusiastic writer, but I write a little bit and I think other people journal and stuff like that. So you know, anytime you write something, I think that you have thought about it, probably you've processed it in like a way that I think is different and maybe more challenging than just sort of like walking around thinking. Um, and that could be a way to explore deeper just on your own, right? Um, if you're lucky, maybe you have friends who love to talk about these topics with you. Uh, I know that I did growing up and that was, um, a huge and that was part of why we were friends also right uh and like it could be about any it doesn't have to be like directly about like i don't know like descartes or laurie paul or some like specific philosopher it can just be things like um a lot of my friends were musicians and we played music we talked about whether um you can know things through music or the connection between like music and emotions um and like whether there's like spontaneity in creating music or you're just sort of like um, I don't know, whether you're just sort of like reproducing something that you've heard before and maybe don't remember. Like, these are all deeply philosophical questions, I think. And of course you could like read books about them, but just like conversing about these sorts of things with your friends, I think is another way of doing philosophy. Yeah, definitely. All right, awesome. That about wraps up our episode today on transformative experiences. Thank you so much for kind of just enlightening us on all this information. I definitely learned a lot more about 
what a transformative experience is, you know, the two different types uh, and just, just the general philosophy behind it and how it can impact our decisions and like what kind of stimuli can lead up to a transformative experience and how those things can be subjective. Um, I'm sure our audience definitely share that sentiment. So thank you so much, Professor Chan. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It was a lot of fun.